Uh, also, um, I mentioned in my message last week uh, just about uh, a church planting fund we have and just looking to support uh, Parkview Community Church in, uh, in uh, New York, upstate New York. And they are beginning the service at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. So this is the very first public church service. So I just want to pray for them as we, as we open up the word. So let's pray. So Father, we pray for that church. We know hardly anything about it except uh, a little picture and uh, a network of friends who are, are fully in and committed to, to helping see that launch. God, I, I just remember those days when we started uh, the church in DeKalb, Kishwaukee Bible Church, and what, uh, what days of trust those were where we began with a small group and just um, trusted you that through proclaiming your word, walking in obedience to you, and speaking with others, God, that you would build your church. Thank you that... You have done that at Kishwaukee Bible Church in DeKalb and here at Rock Valley Bible Church. God, we don't take that for granted. It's a work that you've done. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless you build the church, they labor in vain who build it. I pray for Parkview Community Church right now as they're gathering. Uh, God, just even here for the, for the first time. Um, Lord, we pray that you, by your grace, would help them bring people. God, who uh, they don't even know. God, just but through advertisements and flyers they passed out. God, to be open and willing to, to come and, and check out a church. And may it be a, a great blessing uh, for them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he is risen. That's right. I say that every Easter. To the chagrin of my wife who grew up in a church that didn't say that, so she doesn't quite understand. But for those of you who been in a church that says that, and we are, I guess, you understand that indeed Christ has risen. And that's what we're looking to proclaim today is the resurrection of Christ. That this Sunday morning in the church calendar, when we're, we're to focus our attention upon Christ risen from the dead, we've sung about it, we've read about it, we've heard testimonies about it, we've prayed about it, and I'm going to preach about it. Um, you know, it's easy for us to put the resurrection in the back of our minds, like on a back burner. And, and some even may just visit this topic once a year as they happen to darken the doors of a, of a church. But such was never the case the Apostle Paul. The, the resurrection was always in the very front of his mind. And, and maybe that has to do with uh, his encounter with the risen Lord in Acts chapter 9. When he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians and a, and a voice came from heaven and, and uh, arrested him and, and bound him and, and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And of course, he entered the city and Ananias gave him a message that how he would be a messenger of Jesus to the Gentiles and the Jews alike. And um, I, I think such a vision that he saw this experience of Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, alive and well, speaking to him, changed the whole course of his life from being a terrorist to being the greatest advocate that the world has ever known because Jesus appeared to him. It is no accident that he told his protege in the faith, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Jesus risen is what Paul Remember, the, the resurrection was the foremost of his mind. When he, he mentioned what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it includes the resurrection. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection took place according to the scripture. And that's the gospel of first importance. And the resurrection plays a, a key part of that gospel. And this morning begs us to, 
talk about the resurrection. And so as I thought this morning about how to just bring forth the resurrection, I just thought about Romans. We've been going through Romans, as most all of you know, and we've traveled through this epistle. Paul has mentioned the resurrection on a number of occasions, and maybe they just kind of slipped by and gone by. And so what I did was basically uh, looked and searched anytime raised a resurrection, referring to the resurrection of Christ. I just said, let's just preach on each of those, forming a point each time. And so my message this morning is entitled, Resurrection in Romans. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to take your, your Bibles and open them up to the book of Romans. We're going to begin in, in chapter 1 and verse 4. It's on page 939 of your, your pew Bibles. And, and simply want to go through, just thematically through Romans, picking up when he speaks of the resurrection. I want to begin reading in the very beginning. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And here it is. And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We see here Paul setting up all of Romans. Setting himself first as an apostle and a servant of Christ Jesus Set apart for this gospel. And, and in verse 2, we see him talking about the gospel. It's, it's nothing new, but it's what God had promised long beforehand in the prophets. All about Jesus. God according to being. The son of David according to the flesh. And in verse 4, declared to be the son of God with power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 4 comes my first point this morning. Declaration. Because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was basically an announcement. It was a a declaration. It was God declaring who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. It's it's the proof, if you will, of of everything that Jesus promised. And Jesus promised a lot. He he said that he was the Son of God. And he he said that he would die in Jerusalem for our sins. And he, he said that he would rise from the dead. He said that he would return to this earth on the clouds to judge the world. And and the resurrection was merely confirmation. It was a a declaration. It was a, a proof that all those things were true. When Paul was in Athens preaching to the intellectuals of the city. He gets down to the end of his message and preached the gospel about the the resurrection. He says, The time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. The resurrection is the proof to all men That God is the judge of the world. And it's no accident that those who refuse to believe in Jesus just refuse to believe in his resurrection. Say it's a a fairy tale. Or as I watched this week, a a debate between an atheist and a Christian just saying, well, it's a a myth. It was just an appearance. It was a hallucination. Because once you believe and just say Jesus did rise from the dead, you have to deal with the fact that he's going to come and judge. He's going to come and judge you. But the truth stands, regardless of how people might suppress it, that Jesus will judge the world. And the resurrection was the declaration of victory. Let's move on. The second instance of resurrection comes in Romans 4 and verse 25. I'm calling it justification. You'll see why in in just a moment here. I want to pick up in verse 22. Uh, Paul's talking about Abraham and the strength of his faith. He says... That's why the faith was counted to him as righteous, right? Because he didn't waver in unbelief in verse 20. But verse 21, he was fully convinced God was able to do what he promised. 
And that's the reason why his faith, being firm in God, was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul explains that the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up by, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And there we see that he was raised for our justification. Was he delivered up, verse 25, for our trespasses, raised for our justification. And from chapter 3, verse 21 on, Paul is talking about this whole idea of justification. This legal standing before God that we have, where, where we would be acquitted of our sins, where we would be declared righteous. And Abraham's life is our example. In chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul quotes from the book of Genesis, Genesis 15, verse 6, in which um, the scripture says, he says, verse, four, verse 3, what does the scripture say? Here it is, the quote, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, when Abraham, when God saw Abraham's faith and when, when Abraham believed, it was counted as righteousness. I've told you before, right? Abraham's faith goes up and God's righteousness comes down. And this is what happens to all who believe. We believe and righteousness then gets imputed to us as it comes down. Now, one can easily claim this is totally unfair. How can God take faith and then impute righteousness to us? Paul knew the unfairness of that, and that's what he talked about in chapter 3 and verse 21 and, and following when he's talking about how the, the idea is that God punished Jesus as a propitiation in his blood. The wrath of God came upon Jesus, punishing him justly for sins he didn't deserve so that he can justify us who simply believe because he punished Jesus. And therefore, it says, verse 26, that, Jesus, that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's just in the fact that he punishes sin. He punished Jesus for our sin. And justifying us through our, our faith. And we see that at the end of chapter 4 that this whole transaction of the justification comes through the resurrection. And we don't often think about the resurrection playing such a role in our justification. We rightly think, as the first half of the verse says, that he was delivered up for our trespasses, our, our sins. We think about him on the cross dying for our sins. It's exactly right. But then Paul speaks about the part the resurrection plays, raised for our justification. You say, how is that? And I, I don't exactly know. And I think you might run into problems if you try to splice it too much. But here, here's what I think. I think the resurrection merely completes the picture of the sacrifice of Christ. Right, it's it's um, NCAA time, right? So I grabbed a picture of the UCLA Bruins here for Avon, even though they didn't make the playoffs, right? They didn't make it. But but here's the idea, right? You, you can't separate a shot made apart from the one shooting. They're like they're like like two. They're they're all part of one. The ball doesn't go in by itself. It has to have the one who who shoots it, right? The 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 completion of the shot is the made basket, and the result is points on the scoreboard. And, and so also the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, the, the, the one connects the other, the one completes the other. Many criminals were crucified in the time of, of Christ, but it was Jesus, the one resurrected, who scored, who completes the picture. And Jesus died on the cross, but never raised from the dead. Our justification would be null and void. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Yes, it is Jesus who died on the cross, who bore our sins, but it was the resurrection that, that confirmed it. 
And it is the one, the thing that completes our justification. And 1 Corinthians 15.20 says that Christ has been raised from the dead. The resurrection in Romans, we see declaration, we see justification, we see sanctification. It's coming from Romans 6. You can turn over there. It occurs three times here in Romans 6 and verse 4 and, and 5 and verse 9. And each time it's, it's linked with our sanctification. Like how it is that we, we walk and how it is that we live. We can easily think about the resurrection as something that happened 2,000 years ago with no rele- relevance to our life today. But Romans 6 tells us otherwise. We, we see that the, the resurrection of Christ has practical implications in our lives today. It all has to do with our union with Jesus. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. These tell us that those who believe in Jesus have been united with him in his death and resurrection. And baptism is a picture of that. We've been immersed in water, a picture of dying with Jesus. We come up out of the water, a picture of living with Christ. Baptism is a picture of our union. Like we're we're joined with him. We are are with him. And then the question comes, if we are united with him, verse 2, how can we still live in sin? Dead people don't sin. That's what verse 7 says. And if indeed we've died with Christ, we're, we're free from sin. We don't sin. How is it that we sin? How is it that we walk in sin? And the whole purpose of the resurrection is to, to join us with Jesus so that we might, at the end of verse 4, walk in newness of life. Verse 5 continues the analogy. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, when Jesus died, we died with him. And when he was raised, we will be raised with him. It says the same thing in verse 8. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And if death no longer has dominion over Jesus, death and sin no longer has dominion over us. And the great application comes is where he's all aiming in chapter 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The resurrection is a practical effect upon our life. When you think about what your resurrection body will be like, when you think about how, how Christ has died to sin and, and you're united with Him, will change the way you live. You can walk in this newness of life. We could consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It has a present impact on our life today. Well, the next mention is 7, chapter 7 and verse 4. I'm calling it production. This is what comes forth from our, our life. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And here again, we, we return to this idea about being united with Christ We've died to the law through the body of Christ. We've been joined to another through the resurrection. And the whole purpose is seen right at the end of verse 4 there. In order that we may bear fruit for God. Then that's where I get the word production, right? Bearing fruit. Producing. There's a picture here of of an orchard. And an apple orchard produces apples. And an orange grove produces orange. And a vineyard produces olives. 
And Christians produce fruit. Verse 6 gives us an idea of what, what that fruit looks like. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way in the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In other words, right, those who are united with Christ in the resurrection live a life different than the old. We're not governed by, by these written laws that we got to just follow, but rather there's this new way of the Spirit that, that follows those laws willingly and joyfully and eagerly and God giving us insight. And, and a simple way to understand this might be to consider the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul describes in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the sort of thing the Holy Spirit produces in our life. That's the production of the Holy Spirit in our life. These sort of attitudes of kindness and patience and gentleness towards others. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When you see that sort of response. And, And Paul contrasts that in Galatians 5 about the deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's the sort of fruit that the sinful passions create. The enmity and the strife and the anger. And the love and the joy and the peace. In Romans 7, verse 4, we see the connection between the resurrection and this production of fruit. Likewise, my brothers... You've died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. We've been joined with Jesus who's been raised from the dead in order that we might bear this sort of fruit for God. Well, let's move on. We've seen declaration. We've seen justification. We've seen sanctification. We've seen production. And now, resuscitation. Okay, I'm stretching on this word, all right? Just to be be honest with you, I'm not real happy with it, but you'll see in verse 11 what we're talking about. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. On the one hand, you might seem that this verse is talking about our own resurrection, right? The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead. It's true. The resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, is the first fruits. What, what Jesus did first, we will follow in after that. But, but that's not quite what verse 11 is saying, because in the context, it's talking more about us right, giving life in this life so that we can truly live the way that God would have us to live. Because our union with Christ in the resurrection and a and our bodies have died to sin. The Spirit enlivens us. It, it stirs us with a heart towards God. This idea of resuscitation. Like we are, we are alive. We are, are vibrant where once we weren't before. And there's a newness of life where there, there wasn't this life before. And so maybe a picture of this is someone having a heart attack. They're on their back, helpless, without intervention, will die. And then CPR is, is performed and, and, and chest is compressed and the blood starts pumping and after a few weeks of recovery and therapy, brought back to fullness of life. I think that's what verse 11 is speaking about. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who is, is dwelling in you. And I say this isn't necessarily the resurrection because of verse 10. He says, if Christ is in you, 
the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. There's this, this resuscitated life that we live because of the spirit dwelling in us. And, and don't miss the role of the spirit. And it's the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5. This, this livening that is in us. And it is the resurrected Christ that lives in us. That gives us this desire and this passion. So we've seen these six. And by the way, the sanctification production of resuscitation that's all talking about sanctification it's all talking about god working in us to live a different way that the the resurrection so long ago has an impact in our life and we come here to point number six it's in so much fruit of the resurrection as it is result intercession beginning verse 31 of romans 8 what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who condemns. Who is to condemn? Here it is. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And, and I trust you can see right there, verse 34, where I get this point about interceding. He is... He is interceding for us. That is, he is pleading the Father on our account. He is our advocate. He's on our side. He's for us. That, that's, that's the idea of verse 31, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? The resurrected Jesus is seated now at the most influential place in the universe, the right hand of God. And he intercedes for us. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7, verse 25, that he always lives to make intercession for us. In other words, the point of Jesus living, the point of his employment now, is to ever live to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's, he's interceding for us. And that, by the way, would be impossible apart from the resurrection. When he rose from the dead, was given life to sit with the Father. If Jesus weren't alive, he wouldn't be playing the part of being our advocate. He'd be a, a no-show in court. The advocate is going to come and plead the case of the, the child. is just not going to be there. But Jesus shows up. He does show in court. He is interceding for us. And the reality is, verse 32, that if he didn't spare his own son, God did, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? His advocacy is a, an abundant advocacy for us. Well, finally, we see salvation. So my last point this morning. Try to be a little shorter. We've seen the declaration that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. We see his justification. Part of the resurrection fulfills that picture of the work on the cross, the, the sanctification where Jesus died, we're joined with him, united with him in his resurrection, should cause us to live differently. The production, the fruit that it should make, this resuscitation, this liveliness should give us, and how Jesus, risen from the dead, intercedes. And we come now, perhaps the most important one of all, is the, the salvation. It's a verse we looked at a few weeks ago. Chapter 10 and verse 9 simply says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. Believing in the resurrection is a matter of your eternal salvation. When we worked our way through Romans, I, I, I trust even you can see just the importance of the resurrection in that. 
of, of just the, the vindication of the victory and, and the seal of our justification and the practical role in our life and the vitality that gives us and the hope that it gives us that Jesus is praying for us. And there's the resurrection. And without the resurrection, Paul's message in Romans fails. If Paul's message fails, the gospel fails. And if the gospel fails, we're dead in our sins. And that's why you can make such a statement. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the promise of the scripture. We see in verse 10 and 11 just kind of how it works. At the heart, one believes and is justified. At the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It goes from the heart to the mouth. The salvation comes. And as the scripture says, everyone who believes in the Lord, believes in him, will not be put to shame. We saw that last week. Just the extensive offer of the gospel to anyone who believes. Really, then, it comes down to this this morning, right? Do you believe? Have you confessed that belief? Do people around you know that you believe? Is it beyond a shadow of doubt because you are confessing with your mouth? This isn't just a one-time confession, some prayer, some place in some closet, or some prayer in front of a church. This is a, it's a constant confessing. I'm confessing that Jesus is my Lord because I'm believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And we see here even from Romans, this is the last mention of the resurrection explicitly in Romans. But we see the whole importance here of the resurrection. Is that it ties our whole salvation together in Jesus. It is our hope and it is our joy. And, and so I just say this Easter morning, oftentimes uh, the, the one Sunday in the year where resurrection is focused upon, let's make that a focus often, all the time, like Paul did just through Romans. And, and I tell you, th- this can be a help when, when you're struggling physically. Andy, I'm over 50 as well, all right? And I'm feeling those aches and pains. And I know as you get older, you feel more and more of those aches and pains. I see some gray heads nodding, right? Um, but contemplate, think about what the resurrection is and will be. It's just, just true to us. It's just true of where we will be. Let's believe in the resurrection. It is our hope. It is our joy. It is our salvation. So let's pray together as we finish this morning. Father, I do thank you for the resurrection, which some testified their trust to today. Um, God, which is crucial to Paul's whole argument in Romans. God, which, which touches on these things. Lord, I would pray that we would embrace Jesus and what the resurrection means. It's hard to believe, O oh Lord, of one who has been dead and is now alive. Yet the reality of the scriptures, the scriptures fall if Christ Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. That's why so many unbelievers will attack this doctrine. You attack the resurrection of Jesus and Christianity will fall. As Paul said, our our hope is in vain, our preaching is in vain, and of all men in the world, we are most to be pitied. And that's how people look at us, O Lord. They they look at us with pity that, that we would believe this outrageous thing. And yet, O God, we... We trust also that says whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. God, we trust that believing in this strange and difficult thing to believe has an impact on our life. And God, you will never put us to shame because of that. And so, Lord, I pray for that time when we all who believe would have resurrection bodies. God, the time where happiness will be complete and no tear will be shed and no shame will be had. Father, because we join with you in the resurrection of Christ. So stir us this day the simple message of the resurrection. 
God, to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. In whose name we pray. Amen.